0: You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network.
1: Tech Fan Podcast 199 with Tim, David, and special guest Dan Lizette from the Podcast Digest. Check it out. And it is Tech Fan Podcast 199. Can you believe it's 199 episodes so far, David? I was, I was just thinking that this morning. Uh, I was thinking, I was thinking, well, uh, we've got 200 coming up. Are we going to do anything, and we're just going to push on through? It's going to push on through, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's a, it's kind of a big deal, but it's not. I mean, it's it's not our 200th episode we've recorded together. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably closer to 400. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the celebrations, eh, I don't care. If- every show is a party anyway that's right absolutely uh owen i should let people know so far for this episode is mia he's not responding to phone calls or texts we hope he's okay Um, but we don't know where owen is and if he shows up on skype we'll bring him into the show but we do have someone playing Owen's part. <laughs> uh, Dan Lazette is the podcaster himself. He's on the podcast digest. You could find him at thepodcastdigest.info. And I did Dan's show oh a couple weeks ago
0: now, wasn't it, Dan? Yeah, just a few weeks back. Episode twenty three. Sounds right to me. I can confirm that for you. Yes, episode twenty three yeah. released on February first. Yeah, yeah, I know. I got notes. I cheated.
1: <laughs> uh, so I gave, uh, Dan an open invitation that if he wanted to come on tech fan sometime, if he had, you know, the opportunity, we'd love to have him on. And here he is just a few weeks later. So welcome to tech fan.
0: And thanks for having me, Tim and David. I mean, This is sort of a uh, mini dream come true, if you will. I've, I've really been listening to you guys probably since the first 10 or 20 episodes, and I jumped on the train from there on since. And to now be joining you guys for this episode, uh, I really appreciate it. It's going to be great.
1: Well, anybody who had listened to that episode of the podcast, I just knows how much you ambushed me with inappropriate questions the whole time. So this is our revenge. Hey, I'm ready. (laughs) Let's do it. So there's a lot going on in the tech world, and probably the biggest thing, guys, um, at least for those in the United States, and this does affect, I think, everybody indirectly, uh, is the FCC's ruling and uh, rules that they put in place for net neutrality. Uh, Let's start with you, Dan. Uh, I'm going to assume that you were following this as a podcaster yourself, as a content provider, because you had a vested interest in, What the FCC
0: rules were going to be. Yep, I've been keeping track of it, and and, and really anybody who's been a fan of technology for, you know, in the last few years has seen this um, epic tale uh, continue to come out, and it seems to have turned in the uh, consumer's favor over the last few months, I guess, with President Obama's sort of proposal about three or four months ago. And then finally, to the ultimate vote yesterday, that looks like uh, something they're calling the new open Internet order uh, that implements the strict net neutrality rules. Looks like that by and large, uh, a lot of things will be protected, at least for the time being.
1: What do you think? Oh, my phone says unknown. So someone's trying to call me, but my phone doesn't know who they are, so I don't answer it. I was thinking, oh, maybe that's Owen actually calling my phone, but nope. (laughs) So what do you think, David? As someone that's in the U.K., uh, I don't know how closely you were following what was going on with net neutrality here in the United States, but uh, it does affect you. It Well,
2: it does. I mean, the, the Internet is one big
1: system, so if if it were to happen, I think it
2: would have a huge impact, particularly as so many of the companies we use on the Internet are based in the U.S. Um, so, so uh, I mean, it, it has had a reasonable amount of coverage here. Um, I find it interesting. To I mean, I, I'm kind of one of these people that I see that the... Communications companies hate it and um, have responded very negatively to it. They're already threatening to sue. I see Verizon in particular did a childish thing where they issued a press release dated 1934 in Morse code. Yep as a way of showing how they thought, how backward as communications regulation it was, which I thought was amusing. But I'm one of these people who, uh, maybe I'm a cynical old guy, but I take the view if the companies hate it, it must be good for consumers.
1: (laughs) I I have to agree with you there. I, I, as soon as I saw what the ruling was, I really did pay attention to what the prepared statements from some of these big conglomerate communication companies were. And it was universally negative on their end. And I thought, That's a good sign for the consumers because at this point, what this ruling or what this rules mean for us as podcasters is our data that we transmit over the Internet. So when people are downloading this show through iTunes or Podcatcher or whatever they happen to be using, uh, Downcast, it's going to get the same speed as anything else on the Internet it's going to make it so content providers independence that's not part of a a major conglomerate for instance isn't going to have slower access to the internet our content doesn't take a back seat to say someone streaming in house of cards from netflix i think it's important otherwise we would have had this kind of second tier system where everybody else without the money gets short shifted and then that hurts content providers long-term and it also hurts or would have hurt consumers that hey i don't i'm not watching netflix i want to listen to this or i want to watch this show from this small uh, publisher but their content just keeps crapping out on me it's pausing the quality isn't as good because they don't have that preferential treatment that a big company that paid for that preferential treatment would have these rules say nope no preferential treatment all data is equal david
2: and and this is the thing they the companies tried to argue this wasn't necessary because they were saying oh we're not we're not proposing any slow lanes but what we are proposing is paid faster lanes which is kind of stupid because that means you're proposing slow lanes yes if somebody's paying for something faster that means the free thing is obviously slower um and and that yeah that just didn't make sense i think i mean the point about independent pod uh, content providers is important but actually it's not the whole story here while you know for guys like you and i and and you dan who, who do uh, smaller shows we want to be able to not basically be crowded out of the network by the fact that we can't pay for preferential treatment the the other thing that this had this not happened had this not has this not come through would have happened within have been that basically the cost for everyone's internet access would have gone up absolutely because everything let's face it most organizations you use on the internet are companies yeah there are very few we yeah people like us are are small uh providers providing content for free um but actually most people even if they're um doing their own content are hosting it on a on a a a company's platform if you're using squarespace or google blogger or whatever it is um and effectively Without these rules, you were you were opening the door for the for the communications companies in the future to say, okay, your your uh, data is coming from a company. that company needs to pay for access, otherwise they're going to get very slow performance. And so that means that that cost those costs then need to be spread out across everybody. And so the entire cost of using the internet would rise, and the only people who would win would be the communications providers. And of course, that's why they're fighting this tooth and nail because they don't want to be seen as common carriers. They don't want to specifically be seen as dumb pipes. They want to be able to charge people. They already charge people to access their networks, but now they want to be able to charge you again for accessing it properly. It's an incredibly wrong-headed system. Um, I, I must admit, though, I'm still concerned about this. I don't think it's a done deal. And my concern is that, uh, particularly in America, paid interests pay politicians to write laws for them. And I suspect what will happen, and we've already seen it in the, the ruling the ruling in the FCC split along party lines. The Republicans on the, on the FCC panel were very much against this. And I suspect what will happen now is the communications lobby will go to Congress and start paying off their toady politicians, start putting statutes in place, trying new to this from the, uh, from the congressional side. And that, that
1: concerns me. Dan, don't you think that the Internet, the promise of the Internet anyways, when it really first became a thing – was kind of this free access, this everything is equal, and that this ruling kind of reinforces that.
0: But to David's point, do you think that this isn't the end of the story? I agree on both accounts. And you're right, Tim, it was exactly sort of how this all started. And it's kind of how, ironically enough, companies like Facebook, companies like Google, companies like Netflix began. If they had been artificially limited at their outset, who knows if they would have ever developed uh, into what they are now today and but david's right as well i mean everywhere you read the the lawsuits are pending the lawsuits are filed the lawsuits are the lawyers are ready to go get their piece of this puzzle what i'm going to be very interested to watch is in the last 12 to 18 months i think you've seen a lot of things that were already playing in the uh, periphery of the net neutrality related type deals so we've heard about Netflix making the arrangements with Verizon and with Comcast for the extra servers or, or, or whatever the case may be and and that those deals are in place you've got T-Mobile out there um, doing the, um, you know, no charge for the data streaming for a lot of the music services, which obviously is consumer beneficial, but also plays along the lines of those those net neutrality, you know, terms and conditions. So it'll be interesting to see what's already been done and how those deals and arrangements work uh, in response to what happened yesterday with the FCC, as well as the the obvious court cases that are
1: inbound. Now, you brought up something that I think is very, very important, Dan, And you only glossed over it for a second, and I think it's worth exploring a little more deeply. It's one thing to say that big companies like Netflix and and Amazon and Facebook, uh, they have the money to pay extra for more bandwidth, for more preferential treatment. What about the small companies of tomorrow that would not have launched at all if they didn't get equal treatment to the big companies when it comes to these data packets? Because at the end of the day, that's really what we're talking about, data packets. If these artificial limitations are placed on smaller companies, they never have a chance of getting to be the next big thing. And, David, that's the thing about the Internet. The next big thing is we don't know yet. That's what's great yeah. about it. We wouldn't have a Twitter or a Facebook or, heck, even iTunes for that matter, because remember when that launched, Apple didn't have a ton of money. Uh, mm. If if what Dan said, if these things would not have been equal at the time and everybody had a level playing field.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, a good example of that is look at YouTube. YouTube wasn't always a big Google conglomerate uh offering it started an in independent i remember when youtube started people said there's no way this level work how can they possibly store all that data and send it out to everybody did on a way, work, way on a way that will scale well they're still not making any money no um but the point is is them i mean they're making revenue but and, and people on youtube are making money from ads but but youtube itself is not as a, as a, as an entity, but the point is, is YouTube is huge now. You and I would argue you probably wouldn't have Netflix today if it wasn't for the success I agree. of YouTube. I agree. And yet, in in the kind of um, scenario that's being talked about without net neutrality, the way the internet was going was would have been that it would be impossible to start anything like YouTube because you wouldn't have been able to afford to do it because nobody would have as soon as. it basically what this base uh, what what the cobs companies want to want to be able to do is they say as soon as anything becomes remotely popular we want a piece of that that's basically what they're saying as soon as the traffic becomes popular we you're already paying an access fee to get on networks but we also want to take more money off you because they see, they see Companies like Google and Netflix and Facebook and uh, you know, Amazon and and all these other companies who basically serve content out the internet, they see them making a lot of money, and they're thinking, "Well, we we you couldn't deliver that without us, so therefore we want a piece of we want a piece of that action." But what they're forgetting is, they do get paid already. So what they want to do is basically pay again. They want to and get, of course they want they, double
1: dip, absolutely. Yeah,
2: they want to double dip. And then, of course, you have the conflicts of interest, which is many of these comms companies are actually also content providers themselves. Comcast. And, yeah, and so the most preferential treatment will be given to their own stuff. I mean, you, and they've already proved they do this because they, they're cable companies, and cable companies already do that. They block access to smaller channels and to channels that compete with their own content. Um, they use every rule they can to try and... Tr- try and favor their own content so they can use it to continue to get revenue from their customers. And they would do the same with the internet. It would be a disaster if this doesn't happen. And I can't honestly believe that uh that the courts will uphold the comms company's positions on this. I really I really hope they don't. Um but I think it's going to be many years before this is finally settled.
1: I agree. I think it's going to be many many years and it's ripe for discussion on shows like Tech Fan and Possibly uh, the Podcast Digest with Dan, with his guests, because it affects everybody and it affects every medium. And if we don't have, I want to call it true democracy online, then we end up with situations that you see in, oh, less friendly companies or countries when it comes to free speech. Like, I don't know, China, where they have a very regulated internet and their population is trying to use every trick in the book to get around the great firewall of China and we don't want that let's just call it the west in the united states in the uk in europe and everywhere else that has free access to the information online and you know even some countries that we don't think about like germany they block content especially when it comes to pro nazi stuff they they actually yeah actively go out there and block it. I don't like that. I don't like the message that a pro-Nazi is sending, but I don't like the thought of a government or a company telling me what I can and can't see online. And Dan, I think that at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it is the potential. For any type of censorship, be it uh, governmental or I think what would be, would have been more likely in this case would have been those ISPs that would have been saying these guys, ha- we've received, you know, a large windfall uh, from we have charged them this, you know, extra rate. And so thus now we can deliver it to you. And before we received this from them, we weren't going to. I mean, I'm a Files customer and the Netflix example of about eight or 10 months ago was so perfect. And you, you yeah. saw Twitter, the Internet explode yep. before now. After they signed this deal in terms of, you know, the speeds and, you know, the uh, delivery speeds. And then the deal got signed and then immediately they burst it through the roofs. And it was clear that uh, Verizon was artificially constricting the delivery of Netflix. And And they lied
1: about it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and they had a competitor at the time, you know, the uh, partnership with Redbox and the streaming service there, which has since gone under. But they didn't want to um, further inhibit their other venture. Um, by making it easier for people to watch Netflix. And that's what they were doing. And it was one of several examples, especially over the last 12 to 18 months, of what people were doing before these regulations got in place. And you can only, your imagination is limitless when it comes to what else people like Comcast and Time Warner and Verizon and, and so on and so forth could have or would have done with that continued ability for other things. You know, people have talked about this imaginary world hopefully still to be imaginary world, where um, apps, especially because I, I believe this this um, order yesterday also applied to mobile, but if it hadn't, then maybe uh, apps in the future, you would have bought a data package from your wireless carrier that included the Facebook app or that included the Twitter app, and you literally would have only had access to those apps because, you know... Uh, other apps had not made those arrangements with the carrier or, or things of that nature. So, so much would have been broken, so much that we know today and in a lot of ways take for granted would have been completely different.
1: As well as the potential of what we don't know today may not have ever come to pass had this not happened. David, you get the last word here.
2: No, I, th- I think it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, I hope that, that justice prevails and the correct thing prevails and we see that, um, you know, these rules end up being adopted. And I also hope that the comms companies don't start figuring out creative ways to technically comply with the law while still getting around them.
1: Yeah. That's always going to be a worry. One of the worries that, uh, isn't really happening right now is what all these giant tech companies like Google and Apple are doing with the hordes of cash that they have, what they're coming up with next. You know, 1984 was a brilliant novel when it came out, and it really showed kind of the dystopian, uh, big brothers-watching world of 1984, which really didn't come to pass. Some would argue that it is happening now, uh, but that's for a, di- a discussion for another time. Instead, what we're seeing is huge companies taking these huge sums of money and kind of it in very weird, odd ways that most people wouldn't expect, and that really at the end of the day the biggest winners of what these tech companies are doing david is us is the consumer it's that we're getting things that these companies really aren't making any money on but it really does benefit us
2: well yeah i mean like a good example is google with the self-driving car um and also stuff like google street view which when when google started doing that people said this is crazy this is for a service that they don't charge for and they're gonna they're gonna take pictures of every road on the entire planet uh, you know it was it the audacity of even thinking it was possible to do that yeah let alone then develop develop further into And into how much thinking, money right, it well,
1: cost them to do it
2: yeah except but but what i mean the, there is there is a long and rich history since the industrial revolution of this of of companies and individuals who've made lots of money investing it in schemes that on the face of it people say that's just crazy i mean when the when the first railroads were, were invented the, you know, people used to think that if you went more than 15 miles an hour there would not be enough oxygen you would not be able to breathe and so therefore you were far better sticking with a horse and cart um and, and yet people invested in the railroads because they believed it would make humankind better yes they they were looking to make money in the long run and and they all did but that there's been a long proud tradition of companies investing things that they have the vision to see and that other people don't and then realizing the rewards when it comes off and everyone kind of remembers the things that didn't but you know, that's, that's kind of the human condition is to try and do something new and try and change things and try and improve things. And I think if you're a company that's fortunate enough to make, to make billions and billions of dollars, I think it's far better for you to invest in a few of those pie in the, far, pie in the uh, sky schemes, rather than just do the boring, you know, well, let's just give it all back to the shareholders. Let's do a dividend. Let's buy acquire another company. Of course, you read these articles in the press about people criticizing tech giants for doing this, like, trying to acting like they're wasting money and they've got nothing to show for it. And of course, that's just bogus from people who are obsessed with the Wall Street way.
1: Yeah. And in fact, if uh, you go back in time, Dan, there's a great post at Bloomberg from Matthew Lynn. From 2007, January, that says Apple iPhone will fail in a late defensive move. <laughs> I mean, when Apple came out with the iPhone, it, it wasn't perceived by a lot of the so-called tech experts in the press as being a smart move, that Apple is wasting their time. What do they know about the cell phone industry? And yet, here we are, uh, in a very real sense, Uh, The world has changed, Dan, because of the iPhone.
0: Right. And I think that's what all of these companies are trying to do, right? They have this large windfall in terms of revenue and and, and ultimately profit. And so what are they going to spend it on? And a lot of them, they're trying to recreate create the magic of maybe what they've done before. A lot of them existed because they were early, maybe not first, but early into the game and then did it so well that it became ubiquitous, right? Yeah. Apple and the iPhone's a great example. Amazon and online shopping. We already talked about Netflix, uh, and so on Google search. And when you look at potential competitors for any of those, sure, they're out there. But by and large, these are the giants and they were there early and they did it well and they have reaped the benefits uh therefore forward and that's what i think you're seeing a lot of this now whether it be google in the self-driving car or it's you know um uh, google and you know the project loon and you know, all these other different things the virtual reality stuff right nobody's yeah. gotten there yet so you got oculus you got samsung and now microsoft
1: even google the- has this little cheap uh cardboard
0: glasses that you can use with your phone to get vr Exactly. And so everyone's trying to get a foothold in early because if that industry or that item or that service takes off, they want to be the next Apple, Google, Netflix, Amazon, whatever the case may be because then they will – it's what I call the Kleenex effect, right? Nobody calls it tissue paper. It's called Kleenex because it's by and large you know, assumed to be that. You don't search for something. You Google something. You don't make a copy. You Xerox something. Yeah. But they –
2: yeah, these companies don't always get it right, and Google's Google Glass is a great example of that. This That's effectively a failure. But sometimes you have to try things and fail at them to actually show the, that's, that one approach is the wrong way of doing it. Nobody else will ever try and do something quite like Google Glass because Google's now proved that that doesn't work.
1: Well, I don't know. Sony's got something coming up. That, well, that's Sony. Yeah. <laughs> and we talked about them last week. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I think this is where Wall Street the people who report on profit and loss in the press, which a lot of that carries over to the tech press, and these companies have this opposing self-interest in that Wall Street's only concerned about how much money a company makes, how, what the projected sales are, how much money they're giving back to their shareholders. That's the only thing that they really care about, their own self-interest, where a lot of these companies are trying to do two things make a profit and come up with the next big thing. And I do think and and maybe this is because I'm a liberal and whatever, but I do think some of these companies are actually trying to do good things, not things that's just good for the bottom line, but actually do good things for everybody. And it, it's yeah. almost it's almost unheard of at this point what we're seeing right now from these big companies, David, they're making all this money and a lot of it is going back to the common good of everybody not just their bottom line you didn't see this when the industrial revolution started they were cutthroat you know they uh, kept all well, the money
2: i think i think that depends on on where you were i think that's certainly true um, in the states i mean there was a in the in the UK I mean when we, when we started the industrial revolution here there was a there was a fairly rich tradition in Victorian times of altruism I mean plenty of there's, there's, a, there's a place not far from here called Port Sunlight um, that it was owned by the company that is now Unilever who uh, make a soap powder and those sorts of chemical products and Port Sunlight was a whole village that they built for their factory workers so that everybody could live near the factory could work near the factory but also would have a good standard of living and that sort of altruism from the owner of a factory was done because he recognized that yes he'd make he'd get better workers and more stable workforce if he if he housed and clothed his employees properly and gave them somewhere decent to live but also he, it was it was part of, of of that company giving back to the community and that so i think there is a tradition of that i think history the lens of history and and uh, is, is kind of being lost in the these current days where everyone is all about the profit motive and I think it's I, it's something that really concerns me um, particularly in in the US though we're starting to see it here in the UK as well where um, so much of the of the financial reporting and the attitude is so focused on nothing other than than uh, in the improving the bottom line i mean the the gulf between the rich and the poor has never been bigger even though we've now got technology that should should narrow those gaps it's never been bigger and and part of it is because there are so f- so few companies who are prepared to try and do the right thing look at look at that um a great illustration of this, I thought, was that uh, thing in a stock a stock meeting with Apple a couple of years ago, where um, they announced that they were doing all these green initiatives yep. for their data centers, and and one of the stockholders put his hand up and he he asked Tim Cook directly. He said, "Well, he said you're you're doing all of this. What does this do do for the stock price and the bottom line?" And Tim Cook was very angry with him and he he almost chatted at him and he said. You know we don't do every everything just for the bottom line. If you don't like the fact we're doing this, you need to get out of this stock yeah and and it basically he was he 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 reading between lines there's guy screw you we make we make billions of dollars for you every quarter. Don't turn around and tell us we can't do this because it it doesn't improve the bottom line. And of course, companies like Apple doing stuff like that, launching solar plant plants for their data centers, they've got a, they've just announced another one here in Europe that they're building that again is gonna be completely utterly carbon neutrals, completely powered by solar and wind. And the reason, one of the reasons they're doing that, yes, it improves, it improves their energy consumption, but I think also they're proving it can be done on a big scale. And if a company like Apple proves it can be done, then maybe more factories will be prepared to do it, and that improves the environment for everybody.
1: And that's kind of what I was talking about, Dan, that uh, I think, notwithstanding what David was saying, because I, I could actually go negative on what you said there, David, about uh, the altruistic, you know, that he built this town, yeah, you, you keep your slaves happy and they'll be more productive. Um, (laughs) That doesn't help everybody in the entire world. Whereas I think companies nowadays really are taking a a bigger view, Dan. They're looking at what's good for everybody. And then they're trying to figure out after the fact that they create some of these things where they can make money doing it. Like Google and Street View and Apple looking at uh, more green things. I I think that they're looking at helping everybody and then worrying secondhand about how they're going to make money off of it.
0: I would mostly agree. I would argue that there's a twofer component to this, right? I think a lot of companies are realizing that one of the Apple fans are, are a perfect example, right? I'm one, you guys are one. And when you really analyze why somebody may be an Apple fan, one of the things about it is this: it gets almost to this love-like component, right? You love more than the product just in front of you. It starts to become this experiential type aspect to it where you appreciate this element and that element. And it almost develops sort of like a friendship, right? When you think about a friend, if somebody is a a great friend and they're they're always there for you and they're good to talk to, but then you also know that they are involved in some kind of cult or whatever. Even though all these other things are great, you may say, you know, I don't really want to be your friend. And it's kind of that component, I think, with a lot of these altruistic, to use that term, type of goals for companies, right? So they if people are fully invested and in identify with the goals, the ideology, and Apple's a great example here recently, especially with uh, Tim Cook's stance uh, on so many issues, uh, you know, employment equality and the, the green uh, initiatives that they have, that this drives not only as a leader do they get to set an example for other companies, as you pointed out, David, which I think is also a, a great benefit to this, But it develops an allegiance and a loyalty from the consumers that identifies with much more than that one product. So then when they get the iPhone 6 and iCloud doesn't quite work for them, they let that go because they know that this is a bigger buy-in for them. They self-identify and they, they believe in more than just that one feature where if you pick up the Samsung phone, this thing doesn't work. You're like, this thing's a piece of crap. I'm switching. Uh, that doesn't really happen as much, especially in those companies where you're buying into much more than just what the product is. You sort of believe in their philosophies and their ideologies.
1: David,
2: yeah, no, I, I concur with that. I think, I think having a, a kind of a, a an aura around the company. Um, that makes you feel makes you feel good about buying from them is, is very important and you know companies like Amazon do that as well because uh, people like the services the fact that that customer service at Amazon is so easy if you ever have to return something um, is never a problem is um, is something that I know that I know that's less of a Often less of an issue in the states than, than maybe it is over here, but certainly certainly before uh, companies like Amazon came came along here, British retail. If you ever wanted to return something, you had to go through all sorts of hoops. It really was not the uh, the American style experience. And Amazon's brought that to the UK, and people here re- really appreciate that. And and that again that fosters that brand loyalty. It makes you, if if it makes you feel good about buying from them, and that's what all marketing and advertising is is meant to be about. Then then um, then you're you're likely to come back again and again so i think that i think that can be an important part of it so uh i'm sure uh, well i know from from experience myself you know I, i as as tim knows as you as you know from listening to the podcast dan i've recently bought an electric car one of the reasons i i bought that is because it makes me feel a bit better about myself with the fact that i commute all the time it's the fact that i'm not you know polluting the environment with my, with my tailpipe, even if I have moved the problem somewhere else and I recognize that and uh, the point is I buy I buy that type of vehicle because I want to feel like I'm doing something. you can argue this toss about whether I am or or not improving the planet by uh, by having that car but it, it makes me feel good that i'm that I'm doing that and so that encouraged me to buy the product and sometimes that's enough isn't it? yeah sometimes it is and and uh, th- what I find interesting is when people uh, point out that Apple and Google and everything are doing these things, and they can't see the point of these products. They fail to realise so many of these other developments, and that, and that that car I drive is a very good example, are also being funded by these companies in the hope of getting a leg up. You just don't see it because it's not as public. So, yeah, Google may be publicizing their self-driving cars and the money they spend on that and everything. Most people don't know that Nissan and Toyota, in developing these electric drivetrains, have sunk a huge amount of money that they're probably never going to get back. I, I heard it on good, fairly good authority that the original... Um, battery packs for the Nissan Leaf, the car that I drive for the first gen one was costing Nissan something like $40,000 per unit. They weren't getting that back on the retail price of the car but they were doing it because they wanted to find out how these things worked in the long term so it was a research project they were funding it through their customers but effectively they were taking a loss on each car and i think we all recognize that some companies um, are quite happy to sell products at virtually no margin in order to get them into your hands and to try and understand how they works or to uh, bolster up another part of their of their product ecosystem
1: you know what else makes me happy david What's that? Listening to an ad for another show here in the Stoplight Network. We'll be right back. Ah, uh, that's snake. Ever think about becoming a podcaster thinking, wow, you know, that's probably way too hard. Well, we have a solution. The Stoplight Network is looking for brand new shows to join the network. It won't cost you a dime. In fact, you might actually make some money off of it. So if you've always wanted to podcast and it seemed way too daunting, drop me a line. My name is Tim Robertson. I am the host of Tech Fan. I started the MyMac Podcasting at the dawn of podcasting, and I can help you get your podcast up and running. Simply send an email to Tim, that's T-I-M, at MyMac, M-Y-M-A-C, dot com. Tim at MyMac.com. Let's get your show ready for primetime. And we are back here on TechFan199, Tim, David, and Dan, TDD. (laughs) Uh, Still no Owen, don't know where uh, he's at. He hasn't shown up on Skype. He hasn't returned my text messages. We just hope that uh, everything's okay. Usually when someone goes quiet, uh, the way Owen has for the last couple days on us, uh, it does make David and I worry. So uh, hopefully everything's okay with Owen, and uh, we'll find out next week, I suppose. guess so. So we love to get feedback from the listeners. If you guys want to send us feedback, it's real easy to do. Tim, David, or Owen at techfampodcast.com. In fact, heck, even Dan would love to
0: hear from you guys. Uh, What's your contact info? Well, the Podcast Digest is thepodcastdigest.info, and uh, they can follow the show on Twitter at PodDigest. Those are probably the two best places to find the show and everything about it. So Dan would love to get feedback from you guys
1: too. And make sure you guys listen to his show. It's really good. You're going to learn about other shows that maybe you don't know about. And, uh, and at the end of the day, I love that concept, Dan, learning about other content that I may or may not enjoy. Cause obviously some of the shows, some of the people that you interview, eh, I don't have any interest in that show because I'm not into that subject, but more often than not, I hear something and I'm like, Oh, that's, that sounds like a good show. I'm going to, I'm going to at least give it a try because at the end of the day, it doesn't cost us anything.
0: Oh, thank you, Tim. That was the goal. I know a lot of people, hopefully, a lot of people are just now finding podcasting and continue to do so. And my thought was, I kind of wanted to find a one-stop shop that newbies could go to and sort of start off a subscription list with a lot of great content that I've come across. And there's so much more out there, and I look forward to uh, finding more.
1: Great. I look forward to uh, discovering more through you. And, you know, there's so many podcasts out there that uh, it's, it's almost endless. Your yep. show could go on for the next hundred years, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm lucky. <laughs> we did get some feedback after the last couple of episodes, David. Uh, Alyssa Paselli, who is a writer at MyMac.com, uh, commented about the uh, arcade discussion that uh, we were talking about with my Neo Geo. She said mm. we had an arcade in the campus center at our college. My husband, boyfriend at the time, and I lived to play Sinbad, our favorite pinball machine i'd love to have that machine in our house if we had the room i don't know sinbad the pinball machine there is a sinbad video game that is actually pretty good Mm. um but i I think that a lot of people would love to have something like this but honestly david it's these things are big
2: they are big and uh you know hard to move around and easy pinball in particular is easy to damage if you move it around i uh I, i never got pinball I must admit, I it, I used to play it every now and again, but one thing I've never really got my head around with pinball, and uh, I find this today, even with the very, very good pinball tables you can get on the uh, iPad now, um, pinball always seems to have this kind of unfair element, element to me. No matter how good you are...
1: Gravity's um, going to win.
2: <laughs> yeah. Look, it, there, there always seems to be at one point in the game where through no fault of your own the ball ends up in a position where it's going to go straight down that middle and there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. And I find that incredibly frustrating, but, uh, you know, I guess it's horses for courses. I was more of a video game guy, at least my husband were more into pinball, but you know, the memories are cool.
1: I I'm with you. I was always a video game guy. I wasn't much of a pinball guy, but you know, when I go to some of these arcades that we've been going to lately, um, and lately is like four over the last couple of years, I, I find myself, if as long as I don't have to drop a quarter, I will play a pinball machine. I, I think they're fun. And I know I'm not very good at it. It's going to last no more than five minutes. And it's kind of breaks the monotony from staring at the CRT screens on the video games. But I like, video, I like pinball. Uh, I think I would like video pinball even more. Like, say, mm. on the same main machine that I've got my one of my arcade machines are running, having virtual pinball. Because my control panel, I actually have buttons on the side uh that i think that might be cool and it's something that i've been looking into i just don't have the time right now i have
2: seen a um they i don't think they make it anymore because i saw it in a bargain bin uh, over christmas but you used to be able to get a pimple controller for the ipad that basically was a bit like the icade but instead of you having all the controls in front of you you'd prop the ipad into the stand ah. and then it was just two big buttons on the side for the flippers that would be cool <laughs> what about
1: yeah, you yeah no, but but it's kind of a niche thing, you know? Yeah. What about you, Dan? Were you a pinball guy, a video game guy?
0: Yeah. The arcade story from last week, Tim had me drooling. What a deal you got there on a trade for a Bluetooth speaker. I would love to have something like that. In fact, I would pursued it. I actually have a friend of a friend who does this as sort of a side hustle rehabs, buys the parts and sort of restores. The problem is, is he's adding obviously all of his time and effort on top of that. And after the acquisition and rehab, they're not cheap as, as you well know. No. Uh, the the sad part is is that uh, you know we moved up here from uh, virginia i'm in pennsylvania now and i actually do have the room <laughs> so that actually isn't an issue it's more the budget <laughs> but i would love to have an arcade or or a pinball for sure
1: well i have a bookmark that is just a search for arcade here in my local town and i changed the name of the town in that bookmark in the url to Chicago or Detroit or you know cities that's within driving distance. And so probably once a week, I'll jump on there on Craigslist and see what's for sale. And I have to be honest, sometimes there's really, really good deals, especially if you live closer to a big city uh, or someplace that was really heavy into video games back in the 80s and 90s. I, I still see... I could have picked up a Miss Pac-Man the other day for 300 bucks, which that's not nothing to sneeze at. 300 bucks is 300 bucks, But... It's also not a ton of money. I mean, we paid more than that for, you know, you'd have to buy two of them to equal an iPad nowadays. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So it's not too expensive, but trust me, if you don't want to get that bug, don't buy the first one. (laughs) Because you'll just start looking for the second
0: one. I think you should pick up the Ms. Pac-Man, Tim.
1: I don't have room. If, If I had more room, I absolutely would be on the hunt for more arcades, but... As it is right now, the two machines I have is, is going to have to be enough. I did, if you remember on the last episode, I talked about uh, the problem with the locks. Well, right. I did buy three locks. It cost me like $3. <laughs> it costs as much to ship it as to buy these locks. I bought three of them. They were all keyed the same. I drilled out the lock in the back and I replaced the two front ones. So now the machines, uh, I can get into any aspect of it. And because I got to open the back of the machine up, I flipped one little dip switch, and now it's on free play. So you just go up here, at player one, and you're off and running. But it's uh, it was fun, kind of, you know, the manual taking apart these locks and installing new ones and drilling the other one out. I don't know why, but that was fun for me. Cool. Maybe I'm just, I don't know. Sometimes I miss that kind of work, you know what I mean? That manual yeah. I, elbow grease, b- busting out my tools and I I don't know. I like that. I'm just a guy, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of uh, more feedback, uh, how do you say that name? Uh, Micah. Is that Micah? That's what I thought. Micah, yeah. You know how I am with names. I like to butcher them. Go ahead
2: and read that one. Okay, so uh, Micah is Max Hydro Storm. What a cool uh, handle that is. I know, is. right? So, so Micah goes, in episode 197, Tim asked if anyone has any recommendations for good YouTube shows that don't get the attention they deserve. I stumbled upon a show called Super Academy, and this is amazing. They currently have the pilot out and are working on three new episodes. You should really check it out. So Super Academy, not heard of that one.
1: I actually watched the, uh, after I got saw that feedback, I actually watched that episode on and YouTube. What's it, so, what, so what's it about? It's almost a Disney Channel esque uh, show. It's about a kid. Uh, well, no, he's not a kid. He's a young adult that wants to go to the school that has a whole bunch of superheroes. They train superheroes there, basically. Okay. And his dad's a bad guy. Uh, the acting is, yeah. Um, the special effects are. Eh. Um, well, this
2: is this is it, a yeah. This is a, an enthusiastic amateur.
1: Yeah show okay but well, i mean it, it, it wasn't it terrible like a lot of effort into it yeah oh they did it, it, it's not terrible I, i'll say that and there was some parts in it that i found quite clever and a little funny uh but it wouldn't be a show it's, that i would go back to but you know everyone has their own tastes yeah. but well, to so, be wasn't fair there a movie
2: Wasn't yes. there a movie a few years ago about a superhero academy does that sound right to you
1: dan because it does to me sky sky
2: high good. or something or yeah, I'm Kurt Russell sure. was in it. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah, um, I I got to be honest though, it's really hard for me to get into anything online right now, video wise, because uh, as of late last night, the new season of mm-hmm. House of
0: Cards hit <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> it yeah. is queued up as soon as we're done here today. For I'm me. halfway
1: yeah. through the second episode.
2: I uh, I don't, I. Don't I <laughs> i have i have a colleague who sits next to me here in the office and and he saw you know this morning and he went well that's my weekend gone
1: then <laughs> yeah yeah i know that there were it's it's based off of a uk show of the same name and i actually watched yeah. one or two episodes of the uk version it's i have to say this version is much better
2: well uh, the uk one was a much smaller budget and also had a very very different tone yeah uh the uh and also it was it was made about Twelve years ago, when the the pacing and the the editing style of TV was very different to the way it is today, yeah. So uh, I'm not surprised you found it um, a different kind of watch, really.
1: Now, do you have you watched House of Cards at all, or can you? Uh, well, the original one, or the or the the
2: current one, the new one, Netflix. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I've seen I've seen most of the first series. I haven't got around to season two yet. Um, so I, I there's so many. I have a real problem now. There's so many good shows I want to watch. Uh, and i have so little time yeah so uh so yeah i'm still waiting to to get around to uh to season two of that but i really enjoy it. i think it's amazing what do
1: you think danny are you a a house of cards fan
0: i'm in a house of cards attic (laughs) Uh, the the second season i think i blow through in about 48 hours that's my goal for season three uh that is my plan this afternoon i love it it is um one of my favorite shows uh, from through any medium over the last 5 years i think it's excellent
1: you know i i blew like you i blew through season 2 in 48 hours it was just so good i couldn't help myself and it'd been a year since that you know season 2 came out i i kind of forgot a lot of things so getting yeah. ready to watch the new season i actually went and watched uh the last episode of season 2 before i started and it kind of helped because of some things that I actually had forgotten about and uh, it's the new season is fantastic so something else to uh, occupy our, our attention. but uh, again, we love feedback. It's Tim David or Owen at techfanpodcast.com or simply go to techfanpodcast.com and leave a message right in the show notes and uh, we'll read it here. That's what uh, Micah did and we'll read it here on the Techfan podcast. Big subject for the rest of the show, guys, because we really haven't talked about it here on Tech Fan. And I'm a little disappointed that Owen's not here um, because I would love to have got his take on some of this. But Dan, David, the Apple car. The rumors have been flying for a month now. Is it real? Is it real? Is Uh, it just fantasy? What's it mean? (laughs) No lyrics, please. (laughs) Um, Let's start with you, Dan. I'm sure you've been kept abreast. I mean, how could you not with everything that's right. going on online? What's your initial impressions of this idea of Apple building a car?
0: So first, there's the initial shock of, really, that's where they're going next. And, and this isn't necessarily brand new, although a lot of the information in the last two weeks seems to be a lot more reliable, have a lot more data points in terms of hired headcount and, and timelines, but it's, it's obviously odd. It's obviously not something you would anticipate. However, I've heard a lot of great explanations, listening to podcasts, go figure, uh, from some of the people in the industry, and they start to make sense when you allow your mind to kind of think about what Apple could be considering, right? So, Tim, you brought up the iPhone you know, earlier in terms of what... It was such a shift for them in terms of they'd not made a mobile phone before and, and what do they think they can do with this and so on. And now we see, eight years later exactly how much success they had. So, the best explanation I've heard is that if Apple feels that there is an opportunity for them to change the industry significantly, to provide an experience that hasn't been provided as of yet, um, or maybe has been started by somebody like Tesla, that, you know, tying back to sort of subject two, I believe, Tim, in terms of how much money Apple's got, it's worth at least the exploration. And I think that's probably where they are now is an exploration phase. Maybe they're starting to get answers. And if they see the opportunity, you know, why not? They've obviously got a lot of people on staff with, uh, you know, uh, materials and, the, and they have the capacity to, uh, you know, rev up plants and they, they're huge into battery technology. So a lot of the pieces are there and now they're starting to pluck you know, talent from other uh, companies as well. And nobody really knows where it's going, obviously, but i'm sure tim cook sitting there on his pile of money and at least figuring we've got to spend it and uh, let's look into it
1: david i think it's a much bigger jump for apple to get into the automotive industry than it was the cell phone industry because at least with the cell phone industry with the ipod and the popularity there they knew manufacturing is not going to be a problem Uh, they also knew that the operating systems that they were working with at the time mac os could scale and become ios the base was already there the technologies were already there it was just a matter of working out some agreements with some carriers and and here in the u.s that was at&t initially so it's a much smaller jump going from computers and mp3 players to cell phones than it is to automobile
2: yeah i i think apple specializes in doing the things that people can't think think can't be done I mean famously everybody thought they'd be crazy to get to cell phone industry that it was such a mess that there was no way they would ever be able to make a big play and actually what they did they came in and they completely disrupted it um i think if anybody can disrupt the car industry it's it's apple but i also agree that the the scale of that challenge is probably bigger than anything they've ever tried to do before my personal take on the rumors is that you know they are rumors and you you can't unfortunately you can't take everything at face value even if and i believe that a lot of this this information is pretty reliably sourced so i think the people giving the reports the information believe what they're saying is true so i don't think that um i don't think there's any misreporting or too much extrapolation going on here but i think the um i think the reports that are coming out and the way the removes rumors are being put put together probably aren't quite what people are making them are my personal opinion is that i believe that apple are researching technologies and i believe that they would be prepared to commit a fairly big engineering team to look into that but my belief is that it's to move from um whatever they've researched to whatever their prototypes are to manufacturing i don't think that they would do that on their own i think they would look to either acquire somebody else or partner with um a big manufacturer a car manufacturer to actually deliver it. So no, my, it, what, what it could be, actually, and there's, the people have talked about, oh, well, you know, why, why don't they just buy Tesla? I, it, you could suggest that maybe they have approached uh, Elon Musk and he said, I'm not really interested in selling to you. I'm not really interested in my company being subsumed into Apple. And it could be that Apple are now developing something to prove to Musk that they're serious. And that when uh, and to prove that they've got an idea that's maybe radically different from something that Tesla is doing. And once they've demonstrated that, then maybe Musk might be more interested in either selling to them or, or partnering with them.
1: Well, a lot of people say that the jump for Apple to get into the actual manufacturing of cars is there's just no way. Well, Musk was one guy and got Tesla started. I mean, it's not that big of a jump. Apple has a whole lot more resources than Elon Musk did when he started Tesla. And he's doing pretty well. That being said, Tesla is not the only electric car company, small electric car company that's out there. So uh, I know that a lot of people are kind of pointing and saying maybe they're going to buy Tesla. Maybe they've had discussions. Um, I doubt it, to be honest. Uh, I think Elon Musk is a a big leader, uh, a big um, alpha male, if you will. And I don't think he would fit in an organization like Apple. Uh, He has to do his own thing. So if I just don't see that happening. So if there's any kind of a partnership or an acquisition, I don't think it's Tesla. I think it's a company that is much smaller than Tesla, but has a lot of the technologies and uh, brain power that Apple doesn't. Uh, That being said... Dan, what do you think? Do you want Apple to make a car? And if so, what do you think that they could bring to the table that no one's even thought of yet?
0: Well, want is, is sort of one. Of, I, I'm interested to see, right? I think that even if you don't feel that it's a great strategic move for them to do so, that they may be distracted or they may be uh, delegating resources away from their core business, I think everyone in the back of their head minds would at least like to see what what it is that yeah. they could produce. Uh, so in, from that context, from a curiosity standpoint, sure, I would like to see it. That said, let's be realistic that more than likely this is going to come out in Tesla pricing territory or beyond, which would put it well past my reach personally. <laughs> yeah, mine <So> too. <laughs> it, it's likely something that, that uh, I wouldn't uh, be partaking in anyways. But I heard another interesting theory put out there was... What if Apple is not necessarily going for a mass market play, but rather uh, could potentially be producing a fleet for something like an Uber service or a taxi service or uh, things on you know corporate campuses and so on and so forth, at least maybe as a test bed? Golf carts. Let's That's golf what it is. It's out. a
1: golf cart. Everyone's got it wrong. You heard it here far. The <laughs> Apple golf cart. Tim Cook but, is much bigger in the PGA than most people know.
0: Yeah. Wouldn't it be interesting to at least be able to experience it that way, right? How smart a marketing play would it be for them to partner with Uber and say that, you know, there'll be Uber cars in a lot of the big cities that are Apple cars, and then you could hail one try, and then guess what you want to do next, you know, in terms of buying one, Uh, you know, sell everything off, downgrade to the one-bedroom apartment just to afford it. Uh, (laughs) But uh, it would be interesting to see. and, And from what I can tell from all I've read and listened to, it doesn't sound like it it would be the distraction for Apple. They've already brought in apparently 100 folks and they have authorization to go up to 1,000 and and I think even that could be conservative if they ultimately go full scale consumer based production mass scale. I think something with Tesla has to be involved at some point And, and I say it for one reason. Tesla's facing a lot of these battles right now especially in states like New Jersey where they're having difficulty getting the car sold because of the dealerships and and the rules and regulations involved with that. And I think Apple's going to at least stand with them and sort of follow their game plan on how they're selling it. Uh, uh, And they're also going to be smart. If it is electric, Tesla already has, be it minimal from what I understand it, you know, the, uh, the stations, the recharging stations, kind of on this path throughout the country already set up. Well, what is Apple going to create? you know, parallel, uh, recharging stations. So at some point you would think that they're going to have to merge their efforts to some degree, even if it is just a partnership on things like recharging stations and and assisting with regulations.
1: Why not merge with someone like GM who financially isn't in the best health. They are on their own path for electric cars, as well as charging stations or Ford or Nissan or dot, dot, dot. Uh, wouldn't that make more sense than a smaller company like Tesla?
0: And and I heard a perfect – not to jump in there, but I heard a perfect response to that same question asked once in that that would be an, an old tech company, so to speak. And the perfect example of, of uh, Apple trying that before was the uh, Motorola Rocker where uh, the iTunes phone <laughs> where they partnered with that to, before they released their own thing. I think that if Apple wanted to go into this, I don't – see them necessarily going with a legacy brand maybe a partnership in the sense of production capacity but i'd be really surprised to see them partner with an established family-based old brand uh, rather than somebody like tesla or striking out on their own
2: david um I I don't know I I could see them doing that. They've I mean they've partnered with IBM on enterprise computing. I mean you can't get much more old brand old tech than that. That's true. Um I I could see that you know they perhaps with somebody who's not as familiar to US customers. I mean for instance over here in in Europe um the uh, Citroen Renault Peugeot group uh is kind of a it's like a French conglomerate of car manufacturers. They're very big into electric cars renault has has worked very hard and renault already has a uh has has had links to nissan in the past um so i could see them maybe partnering up with somebody like that rather than necessarily a a japanese brand or a a brand that that maybe you're more familiar with in the states um that could be the sort of radical deal that that they might want to do um so I, I could see that, really. Or alternatively, as you say, Dan, perhaps just use some of these manufacturing capacities to so actually build, build the cars. I mean, if you go to places in Eastern Europe, you can get amazing car factories now for um, and amazing technology for uh, for a lot of the cars we drive nowadays
0: are built, and they're built in Eastern Europe. Yeah, they're going to have to find the Foxconn of the automotive industry, I would think. Yeah,
2: but, you, but that can be done. I mean, uh, Volkswagen, Peugeot, uh, some of the Japanese companies, as well, um, often build in places you wouldn't, you would never believe are capable of uh, of uh, assembling cutting-edge 21st-century car plants, but
1: they do. And you can also look at a place like Detroit, which Apple would be considered one of the greatest companies of all time if they simply moved any kind of vehicle production to Detroit, a city that's just been devastated, but geographically located. Uh, The infrastructure is in place as well as the workforce uh, being educated in manufacturing. Um, That would be a brilliant move on Apple's part, but that's not going to happen.
2: Would they be able, if they wanted to do that, would they be able to overcome the union problem? Yes would because and and i say that i don't i don't philosophically disagree with the, with unions i think unions are a very important thing for people to have particularly in the context of these big corporations we were talking about at the beginning of the show who sometimes are obsessed with nothing but the bottom line but the but i think one of the problems that the detroit motor industry faced was uh, being and, and britain went through this as well i mean we we used to have a huge um public and then private car industry and it's all gone now because the unions killed it. Yep. Because a combination of, of union insistence on work to rule together with uh, an intransigence to modernize meant that British cars were already were always inferior to everybody else's. And so nobody bought them. And eventually the, the uh, industry died. And, and I think uh, the American car industry has gone through a lot of that. And I think if somebody wants to get going to Detroit again, they've got to get away from that while still protecting the
1: workforce. If anybody can do that, I think it would be Apple uh, simply because they could actually pay their workers more. Than what the prevailing union wages are in the automotive industry and it'd be very very difficult for the automotive unions to get in there the uaw and convince those workers to unionize when they're already making more than what the union is getting for the same workers at ford gm or chrysler so <clears throat> I, I think that they would have a lot of uh, success in detroit and the infrastructure is there it's It's been built up for the last hundred years in that city for automotive production and not just in Detroit, but all of the suppliers, because you have to realize if Apple does get into building a car, and I'm going to ask you that straight out, whether you think it's going to happen or not in a moment, if Apple does get into that, it's not like everything in the car is made by Apple. There's literally thousands of part suppliers for automotive industries in Michigan. And those companies, and they're all modernizing now, those companies are already set up where they could really help a company like Apple get into affordable new type of cars, not just high-end. So, but I think Apple is kind of an entrenched Southern California type of company. I think that if they end up doing that, they're either going to make the cars in China or they're going to make them in California because that's kind of their badge. But that being said, Dan... Yes or no, is Apple making a car?
0: I'm going to go with yes, but uh, I don't know that it'll be soon. It may very well be the Apple TV of this decade, Hmm. uh, and they'll continue to explore. And and when they ultimately do come out with something, it may not be what we are all envisioning. It may be some other play in the the automotive space. But for now, based on what we know at this point, I'm going to say yes.
2: David? Um, I think they probably
1: are. Uh, I don't think it's it's anything we're going to see soon either i'd agree with dan on that and the last word on the apple car is from me and i'm going to say no apple is not building a car they are researching new technologies to put into the existing automotive industry that's that's out there that's they're they're not going to try to reinvent the wheel uh i think it's <laughs> quite literally, literally. <laughs> uh, I, I think that they're working on something that's uh not a car let me just leave it at that so with that we're going to wrap up this episode of tech fan dan thanks very much for joining us this episode man i really enjoyed having you here and uh you know the the last time we did a podcast together was it was very much an interview where you were asking questions and i'm kind of going back in history and talking about killing bats and stuff like that (laughs) um but this is a nice discussion and uh, i really enjoyed having you here this week
0: Well, Tim and David, thank you guys very much for having me. I've been listening to you guys for years, and to actually be on here with you has been a a true pleasure. And uh, I very much enjoy and appreciate the invitation. And, uh, yeah, thank you.
1: David, thanks for uh, being here and uh, putting up with me and Dan. That's (laughs)
2: always always my pleasure, putting up with people. That's what I specialize in.
1: Uh, With that, we're going to wrap up the show. We'll see you guys in one week.